back to another episode of Poet Breed Now. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who tuned in for the first episode and listened to my weird raspy voice. Um, my voice is this thing where if I talk for more than 10 minutes straight, it just gets really just crickety, rickety, gross sounding. And uh, y'all listen for almost 18 minutes. So I re- I'm grateful. You know, we out here. Um, thank you to those who gave me feedback and spread the good word. You guys are the absolute best. Um, shout out to those who are also coming around for the first time. If you have even more time, you should go back and check out the first episode to hear an original poem awkwardly read by yours truly. You will not be disappointed or you might be disappointed. I don't know, but you should do it anyways. Um, but I'm also super excited today because... The theme song, the little song that you just heard at the beginning of the podcast, is by a great person and a great producer, Young D-Ray. I've loved this song since he put it out. It reminds me, honestly, of DC in the spring and summer. I really think something very magical happens in the city where it feels like a very northern city in the depths of winter, but suddenly it comes alive with like hot southern quality in the spring and summer. And look... I know some folks would be like, um, DC is not the South boo-boo, but I mean, have y'all felt the swampy humidity, heard the accents, you know, stood under the magnolia trees, the cherry blossoms, do you see this foliage? Like, look, we are definitely past the Mason-Dixon line, period, so I consider it the South. But anyways, um, back to the amazing song, it's called Garden Walk, and it uses a beautiful Robert Glasper sample. I'm hoping y'all know who Robert Glasper is, and if you don't know, now you know, so you should go on over and look him up. Um, you can find all the info on Garden Walk and Young D-Ray, or D-Ray as the streets know him, in the show notes. Uh, you will be hearing this song every single episode, I promise you, so I hope y'all love it as much as I do. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be taking a look at a poem by the one and only Langston Hughes. Anyone who knows me knows what a big, big Langston Hughes fan I am. I'm definitely in stan territory, truthfully. And every great love story has an origin story, so here's mine for Langston. Um, A long time ago, my dad brought home The Dreamkeeper and Other Poems, which is a collection of Hughes poems that was illustrated beautifully by an artist named Brian Pinckney. I think... One could consider the collection a children's book because it mostly consisted of Hughes' simpler, shorter poems, and the illustrations were all beautifully drawn images of black children. So, for honestly a long time, I thought all of Hughes' poems were about the secret lives of black children, and I felt so seen um, because I'd always read his work in that context and thought of those really stunning images in the collection, but obviously I later deduced that Hughes' poetry was about the secret life and not-so-secret lives of black people as a whole. I think it's human nature to be very partial to what was first for you, so Hughes is my introduction to poetry, so a lot of my love for him is rooted in nostalgia and familiarity, but I also think there is no disputing that Hughes carved out a very significant and impactful place for himself and his poetry in the black poetry canon and the American poetry canon as a whole. His works often distinct simplicity with nods to pillars of black American existence like blues and jazz and church and southern backdrops are very recognizable to anyone familiar with or without his name attached. 
Um, so since I first read Langston Hughes, I just always felt very drawn towards his work for both that childhood familiarity, but also that black American familiarity, this kind of communal language of blackness that he was fluent in and would use to kind of weave together his poetry. So that's my little love story for Langston Hughes. It's very brief and it's not done because life is long. So stay tuned. But, um, Definitely beyond me, we cannot move on to the poem without a little crash course on Hughes himself. Uh, Langston Hughes was born in Joplin, Missouri in 1902, February 1st. Big Aquarius vibes, you know, big mood. Um, he arrived in New York at 19 years old and published his first poetry collection there at 24, which obviously is a little stressful for those of us who are just getting our whole last lives together and haven't even considered publishing a beloved and well-respected poetry collection in our 20s, but art moves at its own pace. There is no rushing the process, so here we are. Um, but his poetry collection was called The Weary Blues, and it was actually inspired by his time in Washington, D.C., which is like, hey, full circle moment. We were just talking about D.C. Um, so he said a lot of thoughts about D.C. He felt like much of the folks that lived in the district were a little, you know, hobnob and bougier than thou folk, kind of honestly like the early 1900s equivalent of the Nuck of You Brunch crowd, which is not really Hughes kind of people. He likes to spend time with the working class, the chill, down-to-earth black folks on 7th Street. And they were kind of the inspiration for the Weary Blues. Hughes, like all black American artists, was weighed down and shaped by a childhood and a young adulthood that weathered the strange, complex storms of an all-American racism, and his work definitely reflected that. Many of y'all likely know him best for his role as a leader in the Harlem Renaissance, which wasn't just a stage for black art, but also a stage for black debate where black writers were able to critique other black writers and hold each other accountable to standards that they set among each other as opposed to standards set by the white world around them. Those standards were stretched and bent and changed and challenged by young writers like James Baldwin and Ralph Ellison who didn't shy away from critiquing Hughes and his role as a compass in the Harlem Renaissance. But I won't dig too far into Langston Hughes' life and legacy because this will not be the last time I read a Langston Hughes poem on this here podcast. So... We'll save some of the tea for later. But um, for anyone who's interested, The New Yorker published a really historically insightful profile of Hughes that delves into the mystery surrounding him and his personal life, as well as the cultural phenomenon that was the Harlem Renaissance and Hughes' role in it. So I'll put that in the show notes so you can read at your discretion and leisure. But anyways, on to the poem. We're going to be reading one of my absolute favorites potentially my favorite Langston Hughes poem ever um, called In Time of Silver Rain. This poem was included in Hughes' 1947 collection of poems entitled Fields of Wonder. It goes, In Time of Silver Rain, the earth puts forth new life again. Green grasses grow and flowers lift their heads and all over the plain the wonder spreads of life, of life. Of life. In time of silver rain, the butterflies lift silken wings to catch a rainbow cry, and trees put forth new life to sing in joy beneath the sky, as down the roadway passing boys and girls go singing too. In time of silver rain, when spring and life are new. 
I remember reading this poem as a child and feeling something so soothing wash over me. I was just like at absolute peace every time I read it. I'd especially love to read it um, by a window on a rainy day, which makes me sound like a really weird child. And truthfully, I was. Um, In Time of Silver Rain celebrates what I consider to be the most mysterious and wonderful time of the year when suddenly in what feels like the belly of death, I mean the absolute depths of winter, life emerges, first slowly, and then ferociously. One of my favorite quotes to describe the wonder of spring is from German poet Rainer Maria Rilke. I'm going to say Rilke. That might be wrong, but we're going to stick with that. Um, Rilke said, Spring has returned. The earth is like a child that knows poems. Now, I could be interpreting this quote completely incorrectly, I'm not saying that's not something I'm capable of doing. I've done it before. But what I always took that to mean was spring brought about the same wonder and fascination that a precocious child does when they show off their wit and their wisdom and their knowledge that goes well beyond their years. Rilke didn't say a child that recites poems. He said a child that knows poems. I've always taken knows to mean a child that is becoming familiar with poetry's nuances and complexities. That is a wondrous sight to see a little being that doesn't even have an understanding of how they themselves fit into the world yet, but knows poetry. It takes you aback. It's like, it's dazzling. It's kind of startling. Um, I feel like that's a very similar sensation to seeing the earth breathe life back into itself and escape kind of the clutches of a deathly winter once again i'm sure many of us have felt in february or even march that after sustaining two or three solid months of freezing cold and bare trees you just may never see green again you're like oh god this is never ending we're gonna be here forever and then like magic the earth just shakes off the frost from the winter and just comes alive again it happens every year and yet it never fails to take your breath away I think Rilke's quote also denotes this kind of hope that you have for what's to come. When you meet or even raise a child that knows poems, that is beginning to delve into the complex world of poetry, you see so much potential on the horizon for what that child could become. In that same way, when you see the beginnings of spring, life beginning to hum all around you again, you get this profound sense of hope and excitement for what's to come. Some might call it spring fever those of us who went to Howard I mean those of us who in general were on a college campus um, know what it's like to just think to yourself I really don't need to go to class I could just I could just be out here I could just be in the streets right now the first day the cold breaks it feels like an absolute crime to spend it inside Um, you can feel summer kind of looming over those warm days in spring so the anticipation for what's to come builds But I think that's what's so unique about Langston Hughes in Time of Silver Rain is that it isn't just a celebration of the glory of spring and the anticipation that it creates for summer, but also the process that the earth undergoes to usher life back into it. It isn't a sudden thing. It's like tiny little red buds on the trees, wisps of green here and there, a sun that might linger just a little longer than the day before, rain lots and lots of rain if it's going to be a good spring you know the classic saying we all heard in elementary school april showers bring me flowers the harder it rains in spring's infancy the more it blooms in its maturity 
Life is tenacious and resilient. It weathers storms and comes out leaping and bounding. In Time of Silver Rain celebrates not just that leaping and bounding, but the storms that made it so. To dig a little deeper, In Time of Silver Rain feels like a celebration of cycles. I'm big on cycles. I think that this life is filled with a lot of mystery and a lot of uncertainty, even with the tangible. But one thing that pops up over and over and over again in our existence is the cyclical nature of it. I think it's kind of our cultural customs as humans to look toward a destination or a milestone that marks the end of a journey. But there's very little evidence that life, and I mean life in that kind of intangible, strange way, actually works like that. We've created arbitrary ages and landmarks to help make us feel more structured in this long life of ours, but the patterns of our universe seem to only honor the structure of life, death, and renewal, and in between, there's only the transition to those stages. Consider our night and day, our moon's many faces, waves in the sea, our seasons, even our bodies move to the thrum of a cycle that pulls things in and pushes them away, back and forth ceaselessly. I feel like In Time of Silver Rain honors the in-between within a cycle that normally could engender feelings of impatience and frustration with the slowness of life's revival. Hughes instead meditates on the beauty and magic within that transient period. I feel like anyone who's done a bit of therapy or just even read a self-help book or two has probably heard guidance um, to find joy in all the seasons of your life, even the ones that are in transition and flux. I think Hughes gives us this poetic vision of that, to view the markers of those transitions, like rain in the spring, as magical and significant as what they're leading up to. I think that's why there's something so soothing about his words. They're brimming with hope for what's to come, and wonder and fascination for what's happening. I think you can also see that in his use of the term silver rain, um, now in the nerdy literature community, there's a bit of debate on why Hughes used silver rain. Some people thought it might refer to the idea of a cloud silver lining, which is a cute theory, but I have a theory about writers. Um, sure, they're deep and profound, but sometimes they're just wordsmiths. Sometimes they just know what words sound good and that will draw out the feeling that they're digging for within you. Sometimes someone will read my work and find meaning in the words I chose that I didn't even consider. I love when that happens because it makes me feel really like deep and profound. But truthfully, I often choose the words I do because they make me feel, and so I'm hoping they'll make you feel too. The descriptor silver makes me feel like there's something magical about this rain. This isn't your average rainfall. This is a rain that ignites life. This is a rain that scares death away and pulls the earth back toward the sky. This is a rain that only comes once a year during a very special transition, a rain that we should cherish and celebrate, that feeds into the idea of finding something magical about these transitional periods as we await summer, or whatever we're anticipating, to pull us into its kind of hot and hazy orbit. So I think... Yeah, I think I've talked y'all's ear off enough about In Time of Silver Rain. With poetry, I feel like there's always more digging you could do, but, you know, this is a one-woman show, and as much as I can talk, and honey, I can talk, ask anyone, I still can't talk forever. 
Um, that shit is exhausting. But if I missed anything, y'all know where to find me on the internet. Okay. I'm always down for a little poetry related conversation. Um, and y'all know I didn't forget the non-mandatory homework. And I've also been thinking, and I decided I'll call it prose work, which is very witty because, you know, prose, like poetic prose, and you're also like a pro at this. You feel me? You, you know what I'm doing. Um, so for this week's prose work, think about a major transition you've undergone in your life, whether it was a job change or a graduation or moving to a new city or ending a relationship or starting one or the coronavirus, um, try to list a few really beautiful and magical elements of that transition. And this isn't to undermine your feelings if it was an overall negative and extremely difficult transition. I really don't like when folks push positivity on you like it's the answer to all your troubles because it really isn't, okay? But for the sake of the late and great Langston Hughes, consider, did you spend more time with yourself or with your friends? Did you get more in tune with your feelings? Did you discover new music? Did you get a new hobby? Did you meet someone new? I feel like Gab Union just listing things. Did you get more money? Did you? <laughs> but anyways, um, and then outside of celebrating the newness that that transition ushered in, what about the environment and sensations during that time were magical? Did you love the way the floor creaked in your new apartment? Did you get a desk with a window that allowed you to enjoy a bit of sun did you enjoy the sound of ripping up old photos of you and your ex? I don't know. Whatever it is, write it down and then try to morph it into a poem. If you want to share it beyond your loved ones, you can send it to me in the email in the show notes. I might read it out loud in the show. You can also send me a voice memo and then you can read it out loud in the show. Otherwise, you're always free to keep it to yourself for yourself because that is and always will be enough. Um, also, shout out to a few of you who were like, hey, I want to participate. Please do send me it. Let's go. I want to, let's spread the wealth. This is a place for poets, a safe space. I really hate that term, but you got to use it. It's a safe space for poets. All right, y'all, I'm signing off. That's enough of me talking. Thanks for tuning in. It has been a pleasure and an honor to have your attention for this span of this here episode. Um, Oh, and before I forget, Poet Breed Now has an Instagram page that you should follow at poet underscore breed now. You'll get info about upcoming episodes and see snippets of the weekly spoken word poems I'll be leaving in the show notes, um, quotes from the episode's poem, and more if I think of it. <laughs> so hopefully y'all can check it out and follow. Um, anywho, see y'all in the next episode.